Welcome to another episode of our Tech Law podcast series. And in this podcast, we'll be discussing the European Technology Index 2020, which has been compiled by interviewing 350 senior executives in the technology sector from right across Europe. My name is Ross McKean. I chair the cyber and data protection practice of DLA Piper in the UK. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Rayburn. Uh, Mark is the CEO and founder of Context IS. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Perhaps I could uh, ask you uh, to kick things off to introduce yourself and your organization. Thank you very much, Ross, and thank you for inviting me to, to join you on this uh, interesting conversation. So. I'm Mark Raven. I am the CEO at Context and set the company up in 98, uh, initially with three people. Uh, we now have 300, or somewhere around 300 people, um, and uh, have grown the business, uh, helping our clients provide, uh, providing our help to our clients around cybersecurity in general, but most specifically focusing on uh, the assurance of their, their current security measures, investigations of breaches where people have, uh, have hacked them and attacked them, and, and to do research into technologies as they grow. Um, we uh, were bought by Accenture in March of this year, so we join uh, a very uh, august uh, and huge organization who have an ability to uh, help organizations in all areas, but uh, we bring to, to that organization our expertise in, in, if you like, breaking things and understanding the vulnerabilities associated with those organizations. Um, and we've had a long experience of being able to do that, but we've not been able to provide that fix uh, and that solution. Uh, so the marriage of, of Accenture's capabilities and our, our expertise is a really good one. And we're looking forward to uh, developing that as we move into Accenture over the coming years. Very exciting times. Well, it sounds as though you've been, as ever, very busy with uh, corporate uh, deals and a lot of client work as well. But um, I think, the main reason you're busy is that the cyber criminals have been busy. So maybe you could, before we dive into some of the findings of the report, it would be great just to get an overview from you of you know, what you're seeing in the market. Who are the threat actors? Um, has the market really changed in terms of threats over the last couple of years? Uh, what's it like on the on the front line of, of the battle on cyber? That, thanks, Ross. Yeah, so um, I don't think I'm going to be redundant anytime soon. Um, nor are my colleagues, um, which I guess is a good thing. Um, although it's uh, it's always bittersweet, I guess. But uh, no, the uh, the cyber landscape, as uh, cybersecurity landscape, continues to be a challenge uh, and and continues to morph. Uh, I think we are um, in a cat and mouse game, always have been and always will be. Um, and the adversaries, uh, in various shapes and sizes, uh, are cunning and adapt their ways, uh, which keeps us busy and uh, keeps us entertained. I think if I was going to um, summarise you know, what we see at the moment, um, there is uh, an ever-growing plethora of what I would call bad guys, and the bad guys come in a number of different flavours. Uh, I think from, from the hierarchy of badness, and, and these are all relative terms, um, the ones that are most proficient and the ones that we spend a huge amount of time dealing with are the nation states. So hostile nation states that have uh, a cyber capability as part of their offensive capability development, um, keep us busy. Um, and uh, we continue to work to uh, help organizations uh, stop and uh, detect and uh, eject uh, nation state uh, actors who are there to uh, buy their trade in a number of ways. 
uh, often to gather intel intelligence or intellectual property um, or indeed a combination of those things. And in many cases, there are um, a persistent uh, actor. So where you are working with a, a client who is in what we refer to as the high threat club. So they have um, assets of great value, uh, particularly from a, from a governmental point of, point of view. Um, they will generally be targeted on a permanent basis. And the adversary's uh, objective is to um, gain persistent access uh, such that they can come and go as they will uh, and, and gather information. The interesting thing about that is they tend to be um, what I would refer to as parasitic. So they have no intention of doing harm uh, or, or terminal harm to their host. Um, they're just, they just wish to gather data and, and harvest information as they go. But their intent isn't to, to do damage. I think criminals are, are increasingly moving in that direction. Uh, and the organized criminal fraternity um, have learned much from uh, the nation states uh, and their, their capabilities. And I think we've seen in the last year a significant change where um, the criminals are working out that smash and grab is still an opportunity, but there are also ways where um, uh, they can use their access that they gain to gather more surreptitious uh, information and be there over a longer period of time. And I think the area I would call out most uh, that's changed is, is the ransomware area. So I think ransomware has been a problem for a long time, uh, as it's been well publicized uh, on many occasions. But I think we're seeing a change in, in how that ransomware is deployed. Um, it's much more now coupled with um, the traditional um, access that a nation state might get um, and the use of, of, of gaining knowledge of the target before the, the ransomware is uh, deployed. So it's much more intelligently uh, deployed. Interactively deployed ransomware is a phrase that you, you may have heard. Um, I think we'll probably hear more over the, uh, the coming year. So IDR it is really the, the case where an actor gets onto the site, uh, onto the, to the infrastructure, identifies where the key assets are and the key information is, and actively targets the ransomware to make most impact. Um, and we're seeing an increase in that type of activity. And I think that's going to be the case um, for uh, the coming year. Um, uh, again, the actors are gaining persistent access to the network so they can come and go so that it's very hard for um, the organization concerned to really um, be sure that they're out of the network. So um, one uh, ransomware infection can lead to a second and a third um, and so on. And, and unless you understand the, the route that uh, has been used to get in and, and get persistence, it's very difficult to, to be sure that you're going to get them out for a long time. So, so it's a real interesting challenge. Um, I'd also say that um, we're seeing uh, a change in target. I think uh, the, the, the strange environment we're in with COVID um, has brought about a number of different uh, issues. Um, and we're seeing uh, COVID itself as a, as a catalyst uh, for phishing attacks uh, and seeing activity around um, the, the, the very issue that everyone's remotely working. But we're also seeing COVID as a target. So um, particularly nation states, again, would be particularly interested in the um, uh, in information around COVID. So what, what organisations, also what, uh, what, what governments are finding in respect of COVID, what impact it's having on the economies of the various entities. Um, and we're also seeing uh, the scientific community and the pharmaceutical community being targeted where nation states are seeking to get uh, access to the information around uh, the, the, the solutions to COVID uh, and wanting to get that as a leverage 
and a position of power effectively. So it's a very dynamic and fast moving environment. Uh, and I don't see that changing at all. So in, in, in a very long winded answer, um, I think I'm going to be busy for some time. Thanks, Mark. And I just to echo some of that, certainly across our global cyber practice, we've had an extremely busy year and uh, have been busier um, since the lockdown started across the world. Um, I think, unfortunately, the threat actors are absolutely using COVID-19 as an opportunity. Um, we are also being getting involved with attacks that have started with a COVID-19 related um, phishing attack. I've seen a few of those. Uh, also, we're seeing a number of clients and organizations struggling with um, some of the containment and defense controls and implementing those in a COVID working from home environment. It's difficult, for example, to do a forced uh, mandatory password reset if you have everything, everyone working remotely over the VPN. Uh, it's, it's possible, it's just harder to do. Um, the criminals know that. And uh, regrettably, I, I, we've certainly seen an uptick in attacks um, over the last three months um, without really any sign of that, of that diminishing. Okay, so now I have, you certainly have my attention and, uh, and this is why this is such an important area. Maybe we could now talk to, to turn to the, uh, the 2020 uh, tech index. And that listed um, uh, areas of growth as identified by the report's respondents. So it's worth noting, Mark, that cybersecurity comes second on the list of uh, trend technologies in this year's report. So it's pipped to the number one spot by the Internet of Things, and it comes second to um, AI and robotics, which are in third spot. Now, uh, of course, all three of those are very heavily interrelated because IoT and AI and robotics rely very heavily on trust. Um, like any product, if there's no trust, then it's difficult to sell it. So perhaps we could just turn our attention now to that interplay and how important do you think cybersecurity is and will continue to be um, to the success of IoT? and to the excess of AI and robotics? I think, uh, as we pointed out at the start of this, this conversation, um, that the, 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 the game is very much a cat and mouse game. So um, you're not done and, and never will be done in many respects. So it is an area where um, the, uh, the opportunities uh, will continue for a, for, for a long time. I think that one of the things that makes it different to many other industries as well is the, uh, the, the technology itself is a, an ever-changing environment. And I think in my 30 years of being in this business, we're, we're probably at, at a bigger inflection point now than I, I can remember ever being in the past. So I think with the, 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 the explosion of cloud environments, the, the growth of the Internet of Things uh, as a collective, 5G as a, as a new uh, medium to exchange uh, traffic, uh, all are, are, are changing the dynamics of, of the landscape effectively that we operate in at a rate that's probably never been seen before. So um, I think that's a driver where um, it's enabling IT and technology in a way that perhaps has never really uh, been seen. And I think we're going through that process at the moment. Uh, the, the COVID issue itself um, has caused many organizations to have to, in many cases, quickly come up with a, a means of having people work remotely from home and have the technology there to support them to, to do that. 
uh, and that's been a rush to, to put in place those sorts of things. And I think that's just an example of how technology is changing in our lives uh, and the use of technology is changing. All of those are fantastic opportunities and, and give us new abilities to work in ways we, we haven't really been, been able to work for before. And I think it's always been here. Um, I think everyone's been sat there going, well, I can't possibly work from home, um, can't be as effective, can't be as efficient, and people will, will, will put their feet up and not work. And well, you know, this, this COVID exercise has forced us to, um, to understand that actually that can be done. Um, and all of those things are great and, and, and provide us opportunities to work in new ways. But what they also do is operate, uh, offer the, the, uh, the bad guys uh, a new facility to, to go and harvest um, uh, information and money. Um, so I think uh, we're in, a, in, a, in, an, in an environment where before the COVID issue, and indeed before the, uh, the recent uh, plethora of new technologies, we were already in a growth industry where there is a shortage of, uh, of supply of, of skill. So um, many organizations um, have, have tried to, uh, I'll use the phrase, jump on the bandwagon. It's a bit of a, a colloquialism and I'm sorry for that, but uh, many organizations have just tried to make cyber a priority, particularly in the consulting world. Um, and there has been, as you point out, a, a consolidation of, uh, of, of suppliers in that space, but new ones are coming along all the time. Uh, and that's really healthy and good. Uh, people are coming along with, with new ideas and new ways of thinking. Um, but I think uh, the reason that the industry will continue to grow over, over a longer period of time is as quick as we think and as quick as we adapt and as quick as we develop uh, new ways of, of detecting and uh, protecting uh, the IT infrastructures that we hold there, uh, the, the bad guys are equally able to, to, to flex uh, and to, to find new ways to exploit um, the opportunities that present themselves to them. So I, I think the industry as a whole is going to keep, continue to grow. I think the large corporates see security quite rightly in many respects as a, a, a must do. Um, and uh, one of the blockers to perhaps some of the innovation and growth um, is the, the concern about cybersecurity. Um, and so it becomes a main tenant of, of large organizations' requirements to have cybersecurity properly addressed. Um, I think the properly addressed bit is the other um, uh, difficulty. Uh, I don't think you ever get to a place where security is done. Um, there is a danger that people put in a, a piece of technology, um, write a policy, uh, adopt a, a, a employer CISO, um, make a number of, of, of decisional uh, changes um, and assume that that's then done uh, and that they're sorted or indeed buy insurance and think that that's covered. Uh, I think we're seeing in many, many cases where those uh, assumptions perhaps are helpful, but they're not the silver bullet. Um, and if there's one thing I can guarantee, um, there will probably never be a silver bullet um, to, to the problem. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And certainly we're, I think cyber and privacy compliance is, it has to be evergreen. It's, it's very much like um, the fourth road bridge. If you don't keep painting it, then it will rust. Um, you can't do cyber by buying technology. You can't do it by appointing a CISO. You can't do it by buying insurance. Uh, it's all of those things. And it's also keeping up with the state of the art, keeping across and understanding what data is being processed in your organization, what might be of interest to threat actors, and making sure you have appropriate security. And also, um, if you are 
which every organization is to some extent, uh, interfacing with other organizations, also thinking through, could I be used as a way into those counterparties if I'm a vendor? Um, so it's not necessarily just your own cyber uh, risk profile that you need to think about. It's also your counterparties, because that might be of interest to the threat actors. My, my, my sense, Mark, again, I'd be interested in your view is, um, there's been a lot of attention on cyber and um, GDPR over the last couple of years. And of course, uh, there's an interface there, but uh, cyber is much bigger than GDPR and GDPR is much bigger than cyber. But there's quite a big interface of those two areas of compliance. Um, a lot of organizations have spent a sizable fortune on getting ready for GDPR and implementing GDPR controls. And as part of that, dealing with cyber. Do you have any sense that there is a some some form of exhaustion uh, uh, setting in, and also within an organisation, understandably, other parts of the business saying, "Right, you've had your fun and games now for a couple of years. I now need you to attention uh, some attention on this area of compliance or this enterprise risk for the business." Have you have you sensed um, a uh, the budgets for cybersecurity, be it consultancy or technology, have become harder to open within organisations, or or not, or does it does it vary depending on the organisation? So I think very much depends on the industry um, and and indeed the organisation. Um, so I wouldn't be able to to offer a single view. Um, in some sectors, particularly regulated sectors, um, in many respects they don't have the option, um, and they, there is a continued push. To, to develop more. Um, so we've been um, involved quite heavily in the, the initial generation, five or six years ago now, of, of what's referred to as CBEST, um, which is effectively the red teaming activities, um, the, the adversary simulation, if you like, um, of the banking sector to see mm -hmm. if uh, the investment in that sector is adequate. Um, and I think those, those exercises that are now in their second iteration have revealed a great deal. Um, and have allowed uh, boards and regulators alike to understand where the current levels of investment have got them, um, and in fact, not got them, uh, if I can make that uh, distinction. Um, and so there is uh, a recognition that there's been a huge amount of money spent uh, in many areas uh, on cybersecurity, and there's certainly a fatigue uh, in, in, in some industries and some businesses. But I think when, when particularly in a regulated environment, when, when the regulator requires sufficient security measures to have been taken, that's, that in itself becomes a challenge. So when is it sufficient? Um, and one has to keep checking that what you're doing is adequate for the, the ever-growing threats and the evolving threats that, that, that uh, are presented, as we've said already. So I think there's a, um, there's a need in the regulated space to, to keep pushing on and keep doing more and, and to recognize that uh, there is a, there's a parabolic curve, effectively, of, of, of um, many of the products that have come to market over, over the last few years have been very effective um, at a point. The irony in, in our industry is that uh, where you have a, a really effective product, ironically, almost, the more effective it is, the, 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 the shorter the lifespan it might have. So there is, a, there is a cause and effect. If you really have an impact on the security landscape by bringing to market a, a, a very effective security product that stops people from gaining access and stealing things, um, it becomes the target. Um, and people spend a huge amount of time and effort working out what does it do, how does it work, and how much I get around it. 
And so there is a sort of lifestyle, li lifespan of a product where the more effective it is, the more likely it is that uh, it will get uh, attention from the, the, the bad actors um, and they will find ways to get around it. And I think that's one of the things that most organizations need to recognize. This is a moving feast. They will need to keep investing. And one of the, 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 the most important things is to understand when things have reached their lifespan um, and that a new investment is required in, in a new, new, new approach um, because it, it, it is going to be a moving feast. And, and I think that, 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 that speaks to, the, the, to, to the, perhaps the, uh, the, the challenges around um, how, how are, they, are, are organizations getting fatigued at this? Um, they probably assumed, uh, in my experience, many have assumed that um, I've made a 10 million pound investment in all this technology, that's me done, and I'm, I don't need to worry about it again. Just coming back to the Tech Index 2020 and the list of potential opportunities, the number one um, opportunity cited by respondents, so cyber was num cybersecurity is number two, the number one a potential opportunity in the 2020 report is the Internet of Things and connectivity. And of course, there is uh, an interesting uh, interplay between IoT and cybersecurity. Interestingly, later in the report on, uh, there was a, a separate question around blockers to the adoption of technology. Cybersecurity is cited as a blocker, but there's, but there's less respondents uh, in 2020 uh, citing cybersecurity that seems to be a, a lower level concern. Notably, uh, this report was completed before the um, JSOF uh, notified um, vulnerabilities in the TREC um, TCP IP stack, which is used very extensively across the um, uh, IoT um, Internet of Things uh, uh, community. Uh, maybe maybe the respondents would have answered slightly differently if 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 they were asked um, after uh, that notification. But perhaps you could comment, Mark, on how important, in your view, is uh, cybersecurity to the accept, to the success of some of these other opportunities. So, so number one and number three, number one listed as Internet of Things, and the third um, biggest opportunity, according to respondents, this time is. Uh, AI and uh, and robotics. So, so in your view, where does cybersecurity fit for those other opportunities? Uh, very interesting. So, I think I, I mentioned earlier that the Internet of Things is is a huge opportunity, um, but uh, it also uh, represents an enormous expansion in the tax service. So, um, what you would refer to as embedded systems that live in the Internet of Things products um, are often forgotten um, and often overlooked. Um, and uh, when uh, a, a vulnerability, such as the track vulnerability you referred to earlier, is found, it's incredible how widespread the impact could be. Um, and in that case, it, it was found, uh, good work was done, it was being done to, to recognize the implications of that and things can be done to fix it. And I think that's a really important part of all of this. Um, we need to do more to ensure that we understand where, in, where components are in the Internet of Things and how those, those ecosystems hang together and what they rely on in terms of commonality. And, and we need to do more work up front to make sure that those common platforms that, that sit in the, uh, 
embedded systems across the Internet of Things are all checked and tested as far as we can to make sure that they are, are as robust and secure as we can make them. Um, there is, as, a, as, as we've said, a, an expansion in all of those things. And of course, in, in any industry that's fast moving, as the Internet of Things industry certainly is, um, there is a rush to, to get products to market and to develop features and functions. Um, and there's always a tension between the security of those things uh, and the, the race to add uh, features to market faster. Um, and so we, we end, end up with a situation where um, the faster things are rolled out and the more um, uh, interconnected these things become, the wider the attack surface and the easier they would, it, it becomes to find a, a component in, in, in parts of these things that have probably been put there many years ago and forgotten about that suddenly someone develops a vulnerability in that, that, that component and it becomes a, a bigger target. So I think that that's the, 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 the challenge in, in the Internet of Things. And as for um, AI and robotics, I think if I take AI first, um, AI is a fascinating subject um, and one that is both a problem and a, and a solution. Um, many of our, our industry colleagues are using AI um, in one form or another to help uh, enable the detection of badness. Um, so finding what, what, what on a network is abnormal, unusual, um, and, and investigate and providing that as a, as a flag to be investigated um, is clearly a, a benefit because in, in large organizations, the, the network traffic is enormous and, and having someone being able to do that physically without the aid of AI is, 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 is impossible. So AI being used to learn what normal looks like and to find opportunities to pick out the abnormal and to investigate is key. Um, but I think there's, a, there's another side to AI as well. We're seeing a, a, an increase in attacks on AI systems themselves. So the, the fascinating uh, question of when is, when is AI working as it would intend it to, and when has it been manipulated by some fashion, in some fashion or other. So we've seen the, the, the huge amounts of press coverage around election rigging and, and, and all of that sort of stuff uh, and attacking the social media uh, infrastructure and affecting how that operates with, with bots. Um, those are real problems. They are clearly um, a growing challenge for everybody. Um, and there's, there's seldom a day goes by in the media where that this isn't covered. And, and, and how do you go about understanding whether AI is being poisoned or affected in some way or other um, by a malicious actor to make it do something you wouldn't expect it to? So they're, they're, they're both, it's both an aid and it's also a challenge uh, which uh, I think is yet to be resolved and, and will keep lots of very sharp minds very busy for a long time to come. On the robotics side, we've seen um, uh, the effects of some of the, the malware on uh, the uh, control systems um, around the world. And, and we at Context have seen a, a change uh, in, in recent times where some of the malware that we're actually detecting actually has instructions in it that are very clearly aimed at control systems and very clearly aimed at doing damage to control systems. So there is clearly a move by the attackers to actually not just you know, um, find vulnerabilities, but exploit those vulnerabilities and, and exercise an advantage by using the, the, the control systems uh, as, as, a, as a means of causing damage. And I can see an increase in, in the coming year where um, the sort of ransomware approach from organizations morphs into uh, uh, more of an, a physical attack uh, by inf affecting the control systems 
on a large plant, for example, uh, and then holding organizations to- there's really, there's really nothing new under the sun, is there? So it's Stuxnet 2020. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I'd like to come to, for me, one of the most surprising findings in this report in the, in the Tech Index 2020 survey, and that's the perception of the level of security against cyber attacks. So we asked respondents uh, for this report, as we did in 2018, how worried are you about the possibility of a cyber attack or breach uh, on your company? Uh, and what's surprised me is that um, uh, in the answers, 34% uh, compared to 23% in 2018 answered that they, they considered that their organizations were extremely secure. So the clear trend is that, at least according to the respondents, and there were many uh, for this survey, uh, businesses feel that they're more secure and more resilient to cyber attacks. So assuming that that perception is uh, universal, it may not be, but let's just go with that assumption. Mark, do you think that, given what we've just been discussing, do you think that perception that actually businesses are now more secure rather than less secure is, is justified? And have you noticed any significant improvement in cyber controls or reduction in the level of attacks over the last couple of years for those organizations you have insight of that, that might underpin that, that finding? Always difficult to try and measure this, um, but uh, my sense is uh, that there has been, um, and I think we, we would all be quite disappointed and uh, depressed if there hadn't been an improvement um, in, in, in the cyber security landscape. Uh, and there's certainly been the drivers to make that, that improvement. Uh, the, the regulated industries have been pushed hard. Regulations, uh, the GDPR, have forced people to do more to improve. So, so I think in some respects, am I surprised? Um, I'm not surprised. I am a little depressed, though, because uh, I'm not sure necessarily that the, the assumption that the network is now extremely secure um, is one that's particularly sensible. Um, I've yet to find many networks that are extremely secure. Um, so uh, I think that's the difficulty. They're probably comparatively more secure than they were previously. And there is definitely a marked improvement in, in, in the general sense in terms of, of cybersecurity in most enterprises. And I think that's certainly a true, a true statement. Whether it's enough is, is another thing altogether. And I think one of the things that's often missed is the understanding of the risks and the understanding of the assets that are um, needing protection. Um, and so uh, there is a perception that any improvement, so I've written a policy, I've employed a CISO, uh, I've got a new piece of technology with lots of flashing lights on it, and therefore my security is now robust. It is a dangerous assumption. Um, it's certainly true to say that if you make those kind of, uh, of, of steps, you will improve the security of your enterprise. It doesn't necessarily follow that you've done all, all you need to, and indeed, as we've said many times on this, this, this conversation so far, whether that's going to, to stand the test of time and whether that's going to be the case in another year's time is another question again. So I think the fact that people are more confident about the security of their organisations is a good thing and, and something we should, we should at least acknowledge as, as, as progress. I think there's a danger of complacency, though. Mm. And there's a danger of an assumption that, that my work here is done um, and, and actually, in reality, that's not the case. So I mentioned CBEST earlier on. Um, that, that, that was a successful programme of work. 
that encouraged the whole industry in the finance sector to, to grow and improve their security. So to the point you just made, that would reflect uh, uh, my findings in that area. Um, but the fact that we've gone through that process and, and had um, lots of learning, which obviously I won't go into the detail of, but lots of learning around where assumptions around secure uh, practices were perhaps not as robust as they might like them to have been. Um, we found areas where we could make uh, changes and in fact, in some cases, change investments in one direction to another direction to provide better protection. Um, and that's had tangible benefits, which I, I'd certainly recognize. And, and we've seen the adoption of that sort of approach in, in, in other sectors like telecoms uh, and in government as a whole um, and, and, and across Europe uh, and the US. So there's definitely an understanding that, that you need to test your assumptions and you need to test that statement that my network is um, robust um, because that, that's not necessarily always the case. Um, and I think there is a, uh, a push in the regulation to do more. And I think I'd call out you know, one example that, 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 that is real to us and probably not that well known to everybody else. Um, a year ago, we would have been, and in fact, regulations currently still do, require multifactual authentication to be used um, as a means to secure uh, particularly privileged access um, where you've got a, a high value asset. Uh, and that's certainly something that Context has and, and, and will continue to, to advocate. One of the things I would say, though, is in the recent months, we have seen evidence of particularly nation state actors with an ability to get around multi-factor authentication and to defeat multi-factor authentication solutions, which again is another example of where yesterday's solution um, is good for a period of time, but there will come a point in time where at least at the high end, and then increasingly that will work its way down the stack, um, that solution becomes uh, less robust. Mark, um, it just leaves me to thank you for joining us today um, for a discussion of the DLA Piper Tech Index 2020. Uh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for inviting me uh, to an interesting conversation. Thank you for joining today's podcast. I do hope that you found uh, the discussion of the DLA Piper European Technology Index 2020 useful uh, during this uh, difficult time for your organisations. Uh, and please do uh, check out our COVID-19 Resource Centre, which is available on the DLA Piper website. Thank you. <laughs>